Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. A couple of years ago, I was in conversation with my son. I had already divorced his dad, and my son had suffered so much from the abusiveness of his father. And I told my son, like I had so many times before, son, I am so sorry for what you went through. I'm so sorry for all the pain and all the suffering. And I had told them that him this many times before. And my 18-year-old son said to me, Mom, stop. No marriage is perfect and no individual is perfect. And maybe you could have done this or you could have done that. Sure. But Mom, you did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Sure, maybe there was some magical answer out there where maybe your marriage to dad could possibly have worked, but he could not even do A. So there is no way that this is your fault. I'm Renee Swanson, your host on the Covert Narcissism Podcast, and today we are talking about the bone-dry exhaustion of life with a covert narcissist. I wore out every letter of the alphabet and even moved into the Greek alphabet or repeated the alphabet, whatever you want to call it. I tried to talk this way or that way. I tried these words or those words. I tried being better in every way that I could imagine. I tried to care more. I tried to care less. I tried to do more. I tried to do less. I tried everything. Yet no matter what I tried, year after year, It simply did not matter. I was continuously getting hurt, and my husband simply could not understand why, nor take any responsibility for it. So, what happened to step A? You know, a narcissistic person cannot even do step A to help the relationship, not even the tiniest step. They cannot give. I've talked about that in a previous episode. They have no give in them. They cannot communicate with more compassion. They cannot even acknowledge that maybe, just maybe, they might possibly need to. They cannot acknowledge that anything is ever their fault. They cannot even mutually, you know, carry a fault. They cannot, they can't do it. They have nothing that they ever need to do differently because they are so perfect. So why is it that when we are in a relationship with a narcissistic partner who cannot even handle doing step A, why do we still feel so determined that we can fix this? Why do we make that our job and our responsibility? For just a moment, I want to compare this to helping a young child learn to do something. Let's say, for example, learning to tie your shoe. First, you show them how. And then you help them through the beginning steps and you start this process with them. Now, I want you to imagine that this particular youngster does not seem to want to learn. I'm sure you've, if you've worked with kids, you have run into this before. They pretend to try to do it, kind of, sort of, put effort into it. And then they fumble their fingers together in frustration and they just say, I can't. If you have never experienced this, you need to get around small kids and see this happen. And and to you, it's clear that they're not even trying. But when you say anything like that, like you didn't even try, they're going to say, I did too. 
Yes, I did. I tried and I can't do it. Well, this is now an impossible standstill. You know that they're not trying, but they are so convinced that they are trying that you cannot get anywhere. And after making a few more efforts, you simply just tie their shoe for them. It's easier, it's quicker, and it's far less frustrating. You know, the child doesn't mind either. It's easier and less frustrating for them too, because it takes less effort. Well, relationships with a narcissistic person, they're like this. You try to connect with them and it just doesn't happen. There's this wall that seems to be in the way. And you try to explain how you feel, but no matter what, they simply cannot understand you. And they seem to be putting absolutely no effort into it. You know that they're not. They kind of sort of do. They kind of, but it's, it's not genuine effort. Just like the kid trying to tie a shoe. It's not genuine effort. You know, you try to explain things to them or you try to explain how their words or their attitudes are hurting you, but you're talking to a wall. They make these little pretend efforts at improving and it's kind of with the clumsiness of that youngster that won't tie their own shoe and you keep trying to help them to understand, but inevitably it does not work. Their efforts are minimal at best. And when you tell them you didn't even try, they snap back at you. I did too. And then when they do that, the victim role quickly follows. They're going to play the victim role of, you don't even see my efforts. Why do I even bother? And they go into this victim role, and all of a sudden you find you're trapped in that circular conversation from hell. And once again, you're trying to explain common decency to a full-grown adult. So why is it that we try so hard to fix them? For starters, it's the only way we can keep our sanity. It's just easier if we do the work for them. Just like tying the kid's shoe, it's easier if you just tie the shoe. It's harder to try to teach a kid, especially if the kid doesn't want to learn, it's far harder. Now, if they do want to learn, it's still harder, but it's more rewarding. When you're dealing with a narcissistic person, they don't want to learn, and so it's, it's just easier to do the work for them. It's easier to sweep all their garbage under the rug. It's easier to keep your mouth shut. It's easier to work extra hard to just make up for the difference. It's easier, quicker, and less frustrating, just like the kid with a shoe. But there's more to it than that. We carry traits that make us extremely susceptible to narcissistic abuse. These are not bad traits, but they can lead to much frustration. And by we, I mean victims of narcissistic abuse. This is very common. And I'm going to share with you four common traits of these abuse victims. Number one, a willingness to overlook faults in others. Not a bad trait. I get it, but we're going to talk about it in detail in a minute. Number two, belief in the goodness of others. Again, not a bad thing. Number three, belief in forgiveness and willingness to turn the other cheek. Number four, willingness to put the knees of others above our own. Now, these can sound like good things, and honestly, they are, but they can be very damaging to us. If you grew up in an abusive environment, then you learn to carry these traits to an extreme. Your willingness to overlook faults in others goes so far as to overlook abuse. Why is this? Because as a kid, you truly believed in the goodness of your parent. If your parent was the abusive person, and you truly believed in the goodness of that parent, 
Well, this led you to the willingness to overlook the faults in others. After all, that's your mom or that's your dad. And they're abusive to you, but you overlook this entirely because you value them as your parent. As a child, you believe in the goodness of your parents. So you overlook their faults, even if it's abusive. You know, how could my mom or my dad be a bad person? As a youngster, that thought is not even considered. So we grow up believing that a bad person is truly a good person. Think about that for a minute. You grow up believing that this person is the best person in the world. They are abusing you. And so you believe that this this person who in, in reality is a bad person, you believe they are a good person. So you all of a sudden now are willing to overlook faults in others. You're willing to believe in the goodness of others. You're willing to turn the other cheek. You're willing to put their needs above your own because that's your parent. This leads to a lot of internal confusion and you're not even aware of it. So later in life, someone can be abusive to you and you will remain, you will remain convinced that they are a good person. Now, it's not a bad thing to be willing to overlook the faults of others. We all have to do that some. If you want a healthy relationship and a successful relationship, you have to be willing to overlook some of the faults. But it is when you are willing to sacrifice your own boundaries, such as uh, you know being treated with courtesy and understanding or to be cared for, when you are willing to overlook those boundaries and sacrifice your own boundaries, well, now it becomes a bad thing. You know, it's not a bad thing to believe in the goodness of others, but it is when it causes you to condone bad behavior. It's not a bad thing to take care of someone else's needs, but it is when you are willing to let your own needs be ignored or even beaten down. You have to be willing to set boundaries. And it doesn't mean you're no longer willing to, you know, put other people's needs above yours at times. There's times where somebody else's needs need to be above mine. You know, if my best friend is in a dire situation at the time, her needs all of a sudden come before my need of, of food or my need of, of whatever, you know, a meeting I'm trying to have. If she's in a dire situation, her needs take priority. But that does not mean that her basic needs of courtesy and respect and all of this are above my own needs for that. I have to be willing to put my own needs on an equal level. And those times when my needs are dire, then I need to be willing to say that. I need to be willing to voice that. So setting boundaries and finding balance, it's an essential part of a healthy and happy life. While I am willing to overlook the faults in others, I must also be willing to overlook them in myself. This is that balance, finding that balance. Think about that again. I am willing to overlook the faults in others. We already talked about that. So I, I must be willing to overlook them in myself too. While I'm willing to believe in the goodness of others, I must believe in the goodness in me too. While I offer forgiveness to others, I must offer it to myself too. And while I'm often willing to put the needs of others above my own, I must make times where my own needs come first. These are the boundaries. These traits of the, of the victims, it, they're not bad traits. Please don't think I'm saying that. These are good things to, to overlook other people's faults and, and to believe in the goodness of others. These are things that create healthy relationships. But 
You have to apply them to yourself too. And you have to hold boundaries for that other person. Those boundaries mean being able, that person needs to be able to overlook your faults as well. That person needs to be able to believe in the goodness that's in you too. That person needs to be able to offer forgiveness to you too. And that other person must be able to put your needs above their own as well. This goes both ways. It is a mutual interaction when you're looking for that healthy relationship. So rather than change your traits, what I'm asking is apply those traits to yourself and expect that of your partner. When you're looking for a partner, look for a partner who honors these traits in you as well. I am no longer willing to go through the entire alphabet when the other person will not even do A. There simply has to be some give on the other side too. I deserve that and so do you. When you find yourself in a relationship where you are rolling through the entire alphabet trying to make that relationship work and that other person will not even do A, you will reach a level of exhaustion that is unbelievably painful. It is a bone-dry exhaustion. I had nothing left in my gas tank. And if you are there, if you are in that place of complete and utter exhaustion, or if you're headed that way, you might already be aware that you're headed in that direction, then you need to consider what I'm saying. You need to take these traits that you are, you are giving to that other person, the, the abuser, and you need to apply them to yourself instead. You need to be willing to overlook the faults inside of you. You need to be willing to believe in the goodness that is inside of you. You need to be willing to forgive yourself. Mostly forgive yourself for not being perfect. That abuser will convince you that you have to be perfect. Forgive yourself for not being perfect. And you must be willing to put your own needs above the needs of that abuser. Please listen to what I have to say. You deserve this. You need to pursue a, a path of healing, a journey of healing. And I hope that you can join me on that journey. Don't forget that I have a Facebook group called Covert Narcissism Group. You will find other victims in there that you can, you can relate to, that you can connect with, and you can support. They will support you and you can support them. Please take some steps to get yourself on a path of healing. I wish you so much peace on that journey. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, -E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are CNG as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.